This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being, being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. When you end a relationship, whether your ex-partner ended the relationship or you ended the relationship, it's usually not easy. It can be a challenge to move on from a breakup when you reminisce about the good times you had together. The feelings you are experiencing right now are normal. Whether you are feeling lonely, humiliated, rejected, disconnected, disappointed, or even relieved. In this episode, Ali explains the healing process after heartbreak and how to transmute negative emotions and experiences and leveling up. Valeria interviews Ali Unger. She is a mental health therapist with a special interest in the areas of major life transitions, grief and loss, relationship issues, depression and anxiety, and spiritual or religious trauma and concerns. She believes a supportive connection is the most important aspect of a strong therapeutic relationship and strives to help her clients develop insight, emotional awareness, and promote cognitive and behavioral change in their lives. Allie believes her clients are the true experts in their own lives and sees herself as a guide and mentor along the way. Allie takes an eclectic approach to therapy that uses humor, is client-centered, strengths-based, and honors each individual's unique background and needs. Additionally, her background in talent acquisition and human resources gives her a unique insight into issues such as burnout, career transitions, and career development and change. Meet Ali at linkedin.com backslash in backslash Ali Unger. Here's the interview with Ali Unger. In your own words, who is Ali Unger? Such a big question, but I love it. So I would say I am a healer by nature. So that's how I've come to know myself, even from a very young age. I've always been very empathetic and quite sensitive. And for the longest time, saw that as a downfall, right? I think that as a young person, we're shaped and molded to believe that we need to kind of have more of those more masculine traits of execution and just being more stoic, but I'm quite sensitive of a soul um, and somebody who really has found purpose in healing others through words, through um, my role as a therapist. And even just in my personal life, I tend to be the therapist, you know, to other people as well. (laughs) I can imagine. That's a beautiful answer. I love the word healer, healing, anything that has to do with that. And I guess it's because it's the door to depth to go deeper into what, who we are and what life is. I guess that's why. And that leads to spirituality from my perspective. But I do have a question for you that just came to me. What defines a healer? How would you describe what healing is as well? Besides being a sensitive person, having that as a trade, what else would define this idea, this concept of healing? Of being a healer? Yeah, I think there's a lot of different dimensions to it. To me, it's illuminating parts of a person that may be hidden to them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it could be through your own aura, your own presence that you can, I think we all mirror each other, right? So we can illuminate parts of another person that maybe they don't see. And so a healer really points out the good things in people, allows that to come to the light, but also holds up a mirror to people, right? So shows them parts of themselves that that maybe are not so good, you know? I think it requires both shadow work and illuminating the light within people. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, cool. that resonates very much true to me. Yes. Uh, when you speak of the parts that are not so good, per se, how would you describe that? What w- would be an example of that? Yeah. So for me, in my work, I, I would describe it as shadow work. So shadow work is really looking at the parts of ourselves that we tend to de- or repress or deny. So if you think of, if you've heard of like the seven deadly sins, you yes. know, greed, yeah. um, jealousy, envy, it's parts of ourselves that we usually don't let others see. And we do this because we tend to have a lot of shame around these parts of ourselves, even though it's part of the human experience. And so part of my role in a healing profession as a therapist and, you know, as a coach, all of that is to allow people the space to really see that part of themselves in a non-judgmental way and bring it to the light and integrate it as part of their experience, not suppress it. Because I feel like the more we do that, the more it tends to kind of seep its way out into Mm. our world in unconscious ways. Yes, that's very much true. And one word that you use, this is part of the topic of our conversation today, healing after heartbreak, transmuting negative emotions and experiences and leveling up. So the word transmuting, that seems to me it, it's what you, you, you're speaking of when you, you speak of the shadow and all these parts of us. So it is transmuting the, the energy, transforming them into something. Is that, did I understand that correctly? Yeah, absolutely. So to me, transmutation, so it, it actually pulls from like more of the hard sciences, right? Yeah. You know, before you and I started this podcast, we chatted a little bit about that. Mm. Um, and so transmutation really is essentially the idea that energy cannot be created or destroyed. It really can just be transformed. So the best example that comes to mind for me is like when you're giving a speech, you know, there's a lot of nerves that that come up to the surface for people. But really that anxious energy is the same as excitement. So if we can actually Mm. turn that, you know, Mm. what we would perceive as more negative energy into more of a positive emotion, such as excitement, we can move through that experience and actually make, make something of those emotions, use it to our advantage. And so transmuting to me is actually moving from that negative energetic state. If we think of emotions as energy, we think of like grief or we think yeah. of despair. If we make meaning out of those experiences mm. and we view it as something that's actually happening for you, not to you, then you can actually take that experience and grow from it to essentially level up, you know, your life to get to a place where you're attracting more of the things that you want into your life and you're just vibrating higher, for lack of a better word. Yes. Yeah. So in a way, would you say that energy is, let's say, without qualities and we are assigning meaning and giving them um, kind of colors and all these powers that we do? I think that's a really, you know, I haven't even thought of it that way, but it is something that we're assigning, right? We could look at all these emotions that we experience in whatever way we want to. I think how it feels in the body, again, to go back to that example of nervous energy or anxiety and excitement, it feels the same way, but the meaning we are assigning to the experience is what gives it that negative charge versus a positive charge. Yes. In order to do that, this is coming from experience. Would you say even trauma is being being filtered, right? The way we color our lives, our energetic fields and our experiences basically through the filters we have. Absolutely. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense to me. It has been my experience with seeing life, the perceptions I had, and then how they changed by doing a lot of work, of course, healing work, spiritual work, and then it's getting much better now. But then, of course, we can go out. That's one of my favorite conversations to have. You know, what are we looking for? Like I'll ask you the open question. What is the goal of healing and what is the purpose of the human experience from your perspective, Ali? Yeah, I think the purpose of, to me, the purpose of the human experience is to grow. So it's to grow beyond the circumstances that come up. I, you know, we discussed before this, I'm quite spiritual as well. So I believe that everything that we're going through is really designed for our own growth. 
So the things that come into our life are really, it's a way to make sure that an organism grows and humans are organisms, right? So everything that comes on our path is really propelling us. It's presented in the form of a lesson, whether that's a relationship, you know, that you're attracting probably unconsciously, like most of us do, right? If we're not healed. And so healing allows you to attract in relationships that actually are more closely aligned to who you are. And so if you allow those previous experiences to be a healing opportunity versus just bypassing them entirely and not taking advantage of that space of reflection that comes after these difficult things, you're really missing a very key opportunity to experience that growth. And I think that's the point of all of it. I mean, that's the conclusion I've come to. I think life is one of those things where we we don't really know why we're here all the time, right? But for me, that's my way of making meaning out of life. Mm, yes. And I do hear that a lot. The idea of growth and to evolve as well. It's the same thing in a way. And I often ask the follow-up question, what would that growth lead to in the very end, if we could picture that end, let's say the end of life or the end of the cycles of life, the uh, reincarnations and all mind continuation. So do you envision anything like that? <laughs> yeah, you know, I do. I feel like it, I'm hesitant to say the word joy, right? Because yes. I feel like joy is a fleeting emotion. I believe it's mm. more contentment, right? Mm. So the end goal when we go through these experiences, we digest them fully, we transmute them, move through them, alchemize them, whatever words you want to use for it, but to make meaning out of them. If we get to a point in our lives where we can move through these experiences without attaching and sinking with all these negative thoughts that come with it, and we're able to actually transcend some of those thoughts and emotions, then we get to a place where we're content and we're actually reflecting back on our lives in a way that is through a positive lens, right? We're not looking back with regret. So even if we, because if we've done the work, we actually look at those experiences again as things that are happening for us, not to us. So then when we're, you know, lying on our deathbed, I hate to get so dark here, but <laughs> we're, we're looking back and we're not regretful because we've realized that it all happened for a reason. Yes. Yeah. And that's another topic I really love exploring the topic of death, although I do not believe and I don't think that there is the death of the soul, the spirit, or consciousness that never dies. Yeah, there's something about losing the body, oh, leaving the body that gets some of us uncomfortable. But I love mm. your idea of um, your word contentment. Contentment makes me think about peace. That's how I kind of see it as a human concept, of course. Yeah, Being peaceful. Absolutely with the human experience, it's okay to go through all this kind of, it's almost like being open, receptive to what this is as it is and not trying to fight, escape from it, fight back or, or reject, resist. And that's the practice, isn't it, Ali? Yes, it is. Absolutely. <laughs> it's a big one. How did you come to this wisdom or the spiritual understandings that you have today? And what inspired you to become a therapist? Yeah. So honestly, my own experiences. So I struggled a lot when I was younger with low self-worth, anxiety, a lot of social anxiety, lots of issues within relationships, all of which propelled me to do a ton of research, right? So I actually have done everything from like alternative methods such as Reiki and even yoga to, to move my body, let the emotions move through. And I actually started there, which a lot of therapists start with the more Western kind of, uh -huh, you know, yes. medical model of therapy. Yes. I actually started on the other end and then found the medical model to be helpful in addition to that. So I wanted to kind of combine those two and I wanted to work with people. And it was actually, my education was a way for me to get my foot in the door. I didn't realize until now that I didn't have to necessarily do that, but I don't quite regret it because I learned a lot and I'm able to now look at people and conceptualize them through that model, the medical model, and also through just my own experiences and interest in spirituality. So I think that's something I've always had, that interest in spirituality. It, all, it came first. So it's been kind of the, it's laid that foundation for me to look at people from that perspective and look at life from that perspective. And then my education has allowed me to also look at it from that clinical lens as well. So it's it's 
all happened for a reason. Mm, And I'm really thankful that my path Mm. has not been straight. It's been quite windy, but it's led me to be able to work with people in that unique way where I'm blending both of those perspectives. Yes. I love that. This combination of science and spirituality. Why not, right? Sometimes Mm. we can go one way only and then we miss out some fun, really, some interesting discoveries. So as I mentioned before, the topic uh, of our discussion today mainly is healing after heartbreak. But I do have one more question for you. Oh, actually two questions, Ali, among the uh, opening uh, warm-up questions. How do you define mental health? What is to be spiritually or mentally healthy? Not spiritually healthy, I mean mentally healthy. Yeah, so I think it's really alignment of mind, body, spirit. So I feel like the mental health, it's interesting. It's always the chicken or the egg question. I feel like with a lot of people is like your physical health causing mental health problems or are mental health problems causing physical complications. And I think that what can happen is when any of those three pillars are off balance, we can, it affects our mental health because it's really hard to focus on things and to be in a good mental state if you're struggling with like chronic pain. It's actually one of the more difficult things to treat as a therapist because the answer is acceptance, which people hate to hear. I get a lot of eye rolls with that and rightfully so. (laughs) Uh, So I think mental health is getting to a place where your thoughts, behaviors, and your emotions are more in alignment with what you value is what Mm. I believe it to be. So I like to do a lot of values-based work. I like to figure out what what drives people, what they value, and to look at the misalignment between how they're living their lives and what they value. Because I think that's kind of the key to unpacking the mental health issues that they're experiencing. Yes. I love, again, how you bring those two pieces together. Yeah, spiritual and mental health. They are one and the same, right? I agree. And this idea of values, I, I hear that a lot, and I often ask the question, do you see a difference between values and beliefs? You know, I think so. So beliefs are interesting, right? Because so the way I was trained as a therapist, we have these core beliefs that aren't necessarily positive, right? So I think there is a big distinction in Mm. my perspective. Values are things that we inherently, they're they're positive, right? Uh We value, people don't tend to have negative values. They don't want to be unhappy. We all have this propensity towards growth and happiness, um, but our values tend to be, yeah, they're positive, but our core beliefs are not necessarily so. So that could be things such as, you know, I believe myself to be a failure or I believe myself to be unlovable. Those aren't things that align with our values, but they also exist as a core belief deep down because we have confirmed them through our thoughts. Our subconscious is kind of in the driver's seat, running the show a little bit, and our values are put on the back burner, in the, their backseat drivers, right? Yes, right. I never heard it that way. This is refreshing. Yes, never thought it that way, really. I'm just kind of now trying to values being positive. I never heard it that way. But yes, and I don't know if I can actually within my own let's say, in a world, mental world, if I can kind of distinguish them, separate them, values from beliefs. I think if you asked a bunch of people, you'd get different answers, right? Yeah. It's one yeah. of those things where it's, it's there isn't a true, we could look up the Webster's Dictionary, but it's not going to really make a big difference if you view it one way versus the other. So that's the beauty of it all, I think. Mm, yes, I agree, Ali. And my last question, warm-up question That's based on the topic, healing after heartbreak. What is love to you? Ooh, I think love, I think a lot of people jump to romantic relationships, but to me, love is being able to completely accept another person, whether that is a romantic relationship, a family member, um, a friendship, right? It's being able to actually accept somebody warts and all, right? Like the the unconscious parts that we talked about earlier, the shadow self and all of the good parts in them and to accept them fully and to demonstrate that to people. It's to hold that space for people no matter what. And I think, you know, there's the idea of unconditional love. So that's doing that without any expectation of return. Right. And then the, the generic definition of love is just, it's doing that, you know, more with the hope 
of getting something from another person. So I do think there is quite a difference between the two. Ideally, we want to have those relationships of unconditional love where we're not expecting anything in return. And yeah, those sort of relationships tend to be the parent-child ones, right? Like that's that unconditional love. But I totally believe it's possible in other relationships as well, whether that's romantic or friendship or any other dynamic. Wow. Um, Yes, that's another beautiful answer to that question. Unconditional love. Yes. And do you also work when you work with your clients? Or have, have you ever actually thought about the idea of unconditionally loving ourselves before we are actually able to love others? Absolutely. This is the biggest topic that comes up when it comes to yes. heartbreak. Yeah. Is And it's uh-huh. actually interesting. I was just talking to my clinical supervisor about this. There's this, the, the only common denominator that we can find with clients is this feeling uncomfortable and not loving themselves. It is the reason for everything that brings a person in here, whether it's substance use, relationships, all of it. So to bring it back to relationships, yeah, I do believe that you have to have, do I think you need to be fully healed? No, but I do think that you have to have a certain degree of self-love in order to have a successful loving relationship. Because otherwise you're going to be looking to get your needs validated unconsciously through that person. And then that unconditional love isn't present. So you're not going to be able to really receive and give love in a way that is reciprocal and balanced. Yes. Yeah. That's it. It doesn't seem like something, not just easy, but something that's natural to us. And I don't know exactly why. But we don't automatically do that, love others unconditionally, love ourselves unconditionally, and then love others unconditionally. There's also this transaction, right? transactional love from the very beginning, too. So it's a practice again, right, Ali? Okay. Yes, it's absolutely. Not, yeah, it's not a destination. Another question, that's the way to get into the topic of healing after heartbreak, transmuting negative emotions and experiences and leveling up. So what has been your own experience with heartbreak, if you could share? Absolutely. Yeah. So I have definitely experienced my fair share of heartbreak. I'm laughing as I'm talking about this, even though, you know, it's a sad topic, but I have actually found heartbreak to be the most pivotal experiences in my life. So every time I have had a relationship end, I have experienced massive growth because it really does open up this wound. You know, I have this core wound of fear of abandonment. And I talk openly about that uh, with clients even. I think it's beneficial. I get that therapy you're supposed to, we're taught to kind of repress ourselves a bit, but I find that it's very helpful and relatable for clients to know that I also struggle with that. So for me, I've been in two serious relationships and the way that I have navigated heartbreak and just both of them were relationships that I chose to end. I should mention that. So what tends to happen when we end a relationship is we feel a ton of guilt leading up to it. We're grieving the loss of the relationship really when we're in the relationship. So that's something that I certainly struggled with. So really handling that guilt and also acknowledging my role in things has been the biggest part that has helped me grow. Because if I were to sit there, it's so easy to vent friends, your family about your partner to kind of share, oh, I'm so happy I did this and just move on with your life and not really use that time to really unpack yourself. But what I've realized that by doing that, by actually sitting down, making sense of, okay, what did I do to attract this type of partner? Why did I accept this kind of behavior? Or what what did I do in this relationship that was toxic? Because there are certainly things that I have done. So it's that ownership of your own role in it, whether that's you accepting a certain behavior or doing a certain behavior towards another person. When we get to that place of, really making sense and seeing ourselves clearly, that's when we can decide something different, right? We can pick a different way of going about things in the future. So each time that I've gotten into a new relationship, I have gotten a bit better about things such as communication, such as not jumping to the worst conclusions. It doesn't mean that I'm fully healed, right? But it's that I have 
gotten to a point where I am making steady progress on my journey to eventually get me to the type of partner that is going to be a good match for me energetically. Yes. So it goes back to our own inner work, healing work, that's for sure. But a question that came to me is, what are some signs, clear signs when a relationship is ending or about to end? I think the big sign, so it really depends, right? Sometimes you're on the receiving end of a relationship. So usually that's when you see a partner start to pull away a little bit. You can kind of read their energy. You can feel less connected to your partner. But when you feel like you're in a relationship that you feel is coming to an end, it's tuning into your body. So I believe the body keeps the score. It's one of my favorite books, psychology books, but Yeah, we tend to feel it in our bodies first. So that could be, for me, for example, I felt I experienced a little bit of weight loss. My hair was falling out even a little bit. Um, I had some digestive problems. I started to really feel it in my body. I felt that sinking feeling in my stomach was a sign for me and this need to validate it with other people, right? When we feel like we want to end a relationship and we're starting to seek external sources to confirm what we already know inside. That's a sign that something is off. Uh, So those have been the biggest indicators for me that the relationship is kind of nearing a close. Another one is stagnation. So if you're feeling like you're not, you're growing one way, your partner's growing a different way, you're not growing together or things you're kind of putting yourselves in this place where neither of you is growing, that's a sign that the relationship isn't really furthering either of you. Right. So Those are some signs. Uh, As far as, like I mentioned earlier, if it's on the other end, that's a little bit more difficult and that's where the blindsiding can happen. And that's a whole different way to manage heartbreak, right? That's making, getting to a place of acceptance and creating your own closure. So that's a whole nother topic essentially, but an important one, I think too. Yeah, it sounds like it. And would you say that relationships, they, um, they serve a purpose per se? within that idea of growth that you mentioned earlier. So every relationship we have in in life per se, they are there for a reason. And then they they also end for a reason. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I think I've heard the quote, it's like people come into your life for a reason, a season or a lifetime, right? So it's usually the first two. The lifetime is like, that's Uh when you do the work, right? Or you find somebody who is a good match that's growing in the same, you know, they're flowing down the river with you. You're not swimming upstream together. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's one of my biggest signs for me has been when there's no harmony anymore. I, I like that word. Yeah. yeah, the the harmony piece is very important for me. And I and you're right, the body kind of detects that before the mind does. So it has been my experience in relationships when they're about to end. It's interesting to notice. It kind of even in retrospect now, it's um it doesn't feel so good. <laughs> uh yeah. endings, right? I guess we don't we don't really like the idea of ending anything. And that might hurt more than help us by holding on to something that's already. Definitely. It, it definitely hurts a lot more than helps us, right? The, the longer yeah. we stay in a relationship, because what can happen is that resentment builds up towards your partner, towards yourself. You become disconnected from yourself, a stranger to yourself. And then the work becomes when you do finally get the courage to leave the relationship, you can become so entrenched in another person's patterns and interests that you have to rediscover yourself. And that is something that's created through not listening to your intuition in the first place when you know that the Mm. relationship is coming to an end. Mm, Yes, Uh, that's another powerful piece, the intuition, which to me is a is a spiritual tool, per se, or it's under the umbrella of spirituality, listening to our own hearts, our own intuition. And I don't know why, it's not that it's not easy, but we, we don't have this, we don't naturally do that. It seems like it's easy to just kind of listen to the outside world and, and follow the, the external signs, then trust our own selves. And even now, I have been doing this work for so long, and I noticed that it's still the case. A lot of times I know I know that I have to say no to certain things, but um, but I don't. Yep. 
I get that. And I, I still struggle with that. And it's sometimes it is sitting and waiting till the right time. I think a lot of people are really hard on themselves. They're like, you know, they end a relationship and they're like, I should have done it earlier. He could be with somebody else, you know, he or she could be with a whole new partner, but there also is that damage that you could have done if you didn't know that you wanted to end the relationship, then you're getting, it's that on and off again cycle, getting back into the relationship that can cause a lot more harm to a person. So sometimes it is allowing yourself to continue to gather data. Like you're a scientist, right? Like you're, you're making sense of like, is this going (laughs) in a good direction? Like, how do I feel after these interactions? And the more data you collect, the more of an informed choice you can make about, is this a good relationship? I've started to realize that's not, you're not necessarily always wasting someone's time. Sometimes you're doing the right thing by yourself and another person to see if it's going to work. It's just that moment when you know it's really not, that's a pivotal time to really like get into silence, try to not talk to other people so much about, be very selective with who you talk to as well. You don't want to be talking to somebody who is going to keep you stuck in the situation you're in, even though it would be essentially you doing that. People's influence can really sway us off our path. So yeah, getting quiet, listening to your intuition and determining what is the very next step I can take. Maybe it's a conversation with your partner to try to state what your needs are. Maybe it is ending the relationship. I think that we only know what's best for us. Yes, I agree. That's another empowering message. Yes, we are the only ones. We are the the true healer, right? Therapists like yourself and everybody else, spiritual teachers will can guide us to find our own truth. That's really what the work, it's uh, their work is all about, uh, or your work, uh, Ali. So with that in mind, so the topic of letting go, not holding on to relationships or anything. But before that, actually, another question came to mind. Is that's what you specialize on, uh, relationships? So it's one of them. Yeah. So I specialize, I I love working with clients with relationship issues and personal like self-esteem, self-worth issues. And it's no, you know, it's not surprising. It's because I have those issues. So I think as healers, we tend to like be drawn to the type of populations where we're learning those lessons. And I think that's the beauty of it. Uh, but also career as well. So my background is also as a talent acquisition professional. So working in like human resources environments. So I also work a lot with people who are experiencing wounding in their careers, which is another thing too. And often mirrors what's going on at home. I've I've come to find. Yeah. Um, okay. So that's good to know as a clarification. So the audience knows that you that you have other services, that the focus is not just relationships. Yes. Or the relationship with yourself, which I love that too. So so going back to the topic of letting go, so stages of grief, grief, is that, would you say that the breakup of a relationship, that is actually grieving? Could you, we call that? Is that a... Yeah, I would say a breakup is grief. It's a form of grief, right? Uh, It's a big one, actually. So the stages of grief, typically when we do go through a breakup or any sort of loss, whether that's death or just loss of any sort of relationship, friendships, all of that, we go through those stages and they're not linear. Um, So it's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. So often we start out in denial, uh, but it doesn't have to be that way. Sometimes we're immediately angry or depressed. Sometimes we feel all of them at once. I've literally felt all of these at once. And I think that it's so important to not view it as a linear process, because if you start to judge yourself for going about it the wrong way, you're going to just get deeper into the hole. Like it's so important to be in a place of self-compassion when you're going through this process. Otherwise you're really setting yourself up for a really rough ride when it doesn't have to be that way. Right. Yeah, that's true. It doesn't have to be that way. What about timing? I have heard before some people that I have, I talked to here I usually ask the question when the topic is grief, if there's a timing, a time frame to, let's say, explore, to feel those feelings um, that you just mentioned, or there's no time, we can just actually grieve for a lifetime. 
Yeah, I think there is not a time, right? I believe people can grieve for like a lifetime. I don't recommend it, right? But it is something that happens. A lot of people don't get over that and and it's okay. It's, It's what you want for yourself, right? For me, I think the meaning making piece of it, so being able to make meaning out of, even if it's a death, right, to to honor that person, to find a way to make sense of what is happening, I think that is going to make life easier for you. It's not something that you necessarily have to do, and there is no time frame for having to do that, but it is recommended because then you can go through your life allowing other experiences to come in. I think grief can take up a lot of our space if we let it in. And if we deny it, it also takes up a lot of our space. It's just drawn out over years, right? So for me, I'm the type of person that I just dive in. I, you know, it's like right away, I I don't go to work the next day. Like some people can't afford to do that. So it's it's all about finding time to to make space for that grief to come up. Even if it's your commute home from work, you know, I get that you have to go home some people to kids and all these things that make it so hard. But I think finding that space to actually allow those emotions to come through you, to journal about them, whatever, whatever works best for you. Even if it's a conversation with yourself in the car, I think it's so important. But to, to wrap up your question, I don't think that grief has to have an end date or expiration date. I just, I, I hope it does for people. Yeah. yeah. I like the way you said that too. Yes. Right. We don't have to grieve our entire lives. Right. And, and I have talked to so many people about that. And I remember somebody saying that grief and joy, they can actually coexist. They are not separate from one another and it's okay to kind of uh, be open to all these feelings to come and go. So we don't have to choose one over the other. And it seems like it's when we actually hold on to thoughts or feelings, that's why they tend to stay. Yes. Right? And hurt us more. Yep. They kind of get lodged into our psyche. You know, they're they're stuck there. Unless we allow them to float up to the surface, they just kind of, they're stuck energy. And so the more we press that down, you know, it creates more, like I think of like gas in your stomach sort of is like what what pops into my mind, right? It's like going to cause problems. Um, So that's why I think it's so important to allow it to bubble up to the surface. Yeah, that's it, Ali. And that's what you call transmuting, right? Yes. Transmutation. Yeah, transmutation. Yes. So not to be confused with distracting, finding distractions or escaping mechanisms, because that could happen too. And I know I have seen that, of course, with myself and people around me, when dealing with uh, difficult emotions or situations, and then, you know, I would go for a movie, like watch a movie or read a book that has nothing to do with the topic of what I'm going through. So would that also somehow lead to this transmutation process or would it's actually doing harm? I think it entirely depends. Distraction is actually a coping skill that can be very positive if you're experiencing a very distressful state. So I think that you, on the one end, you can go so hard into the grieving process that, you, that you're going almost too much into the pain. And then on the other end, you can go into numbing behaviors such as, yeah, turning to TV solely, right? Watching like your favorite movie over and over, whatever it is you're doing or using alcohol or drugs to cope or just going out and partying or immediately going into a new relationship. Those are the things that are kind of bypassing that grieving process. And I do think that that can be detrimental because you're not actually integrating the experience and learning from it. But I do think that some distraction is healthy. Uh, So allowing yourself to go have dinner with a friend and talk about something completely different, their life, not yours, you know, talk about reality TV, whatever it is you like doing, you know, I think that that is perfectly healthy. It's just finding that balance, I think is key. And it's not always easy to do. It's tuning into what you need to really reading the energy within yourself. That is true. It always goes back to that, Mm. right? Um, Our own inner map. Yes. I agree. And I have done that before, more as a, as you said, as a as an emergency kind of practice to not become overwhelmed with those feelings. Yes. In the moment, in that moment. Yeah. Right? Um, that's a great. I call them skill. 
emergency. It is, yeah. <laughs> and let me see. I have all the guided questions you sent me and the topics here. Something else. Yeah. So you work, you do, you, you suggest and, and you apply these practices the practice of visualization, meditation, journaling, reflection, goal setting, and manifestation, law of assumption. Mm. What is the law of assumption? Yeah. So, okay. So here's what I like. Once you get through the grieving process, I think that, especially when it comes to a relationship, it's such an opportunity to get very crystal clear on what you want to do or what you want to attract, right? So like, do you want a long-term partner? Is that something that you're in that stage of your life that you want? What qualities do they have? I think that's super important. It's a way of manifesting that person and manifesting is really taking action towards embodying those qualities that you want to attract. Because when we, I feel like like attracts like when it comes to relationships, if you're both uh, in this state of you're not quite healed, not that you have to be fully healed, but you're, you're unconscious to your own stuff then you tend to attract each other. So getting very clear on what you want is the first step. And then the law of assumption is acting as if you already have that. So what would a person who has a very positive relationship, like an equal, you know, conscious partnership with somebody, what would they be doing? How would they be speaking to that person, to themselves? How would they be spending their time? And almost allowing yourself to feel what it would be like to be in that loving state with that person raises you up into attracting that type of energy into your life. And that's where the spiritual kind of mindset comes in for me, as I feel that's really true when you're, because the way I view it, you're almost repelling the people that are not going to embody that energy because you're not even seeing it, right? Like you're like walking through and the type of people that have like this light around them are people who, you know, have those qualities. And then people who are after something completely different than you are, are just not going to be appealing to you when you get very crystal clear on the type of qualities that you want. So to me, that's kind of the next step after the grieving process, when you're in this state of wanting to move forward into a new relationship. And there's no timeline for that. For some people, it's a couple weeks, months, you know, some people need that time on their own. It just depends on what lesson you're learning. Uh, yes, that's very unique for all of us. Yep. That's true. Oh, I had a question. Um, I think I, I forgot to write and then I forgot the question altogether. But the other one that I have here is about what advice do you have for someone who is contemplating ending a relationship but is having a hard time trusting their gut feeling? Yes. So that's a good question. I would say be selective in who you talk to about this, right? Because we talked about this earlier, the idea that we always try to seek external validation from others. But if you are talking to somebody who is in a bad relationship, they're not happy, they're attracting in, you know, people into their lives that aren't good for them. And you're asking that person for advice. What do you think they're going to say? Right. It's not going <laughs> yes. to necessarily propel yeah. you towards what you know you That's need true. to do. But if you talk to the person in the healthy relationship, the person who has, you know, left a long term relationship or short, however long it is, but is in a has been in a similar situation to you, then you can actually really take that advice in. And they're probably going to hype you up a little bit to make the tough choice. And I think so being selective, really spending time in silence and just getting kind of clear with yourself, whether that's through meditation or journaling. I think one thing that I have done is when I start to feel these feelings come up, even just early on in a relationship, my journal is so reflective of my inner state that if I go back and read through it, it's almost confirming everything I already knew. So if there's any way you can document how you're feeling, that can be a, a way to hold yourself accountable. Um, but if you haven't done that, I think it's just getting very comfortable with yourself, reflecting on the relationship, leaning into the different options, right? So one thing that I do with clients is I have them do a body scan of different choices. So if they're contemplating whatever decision it is, even if it's like buying a new car, they have like all these options, you know, it's like, how do you feel when you, when the 
Tesla, you know, like picture yourself yeah. in it. Uh-huh. Like, what does your uh-huh. body feel like? Does it have any pull to it? Do you feel excited? Do you feel like, eh, this isn't really it? How about the Mercedes, you know? Like, how do you feel with that? So the same thing with the relationship. How do you feel if you stay in this relationship? Like, how does that sit in your body? How do you feel if you leave this relationship? Tell me what is going on in your internal state. So that can be a powerful tool to lean into as well as using, you know, your body, that somatic response as a indicator of what you feel like is best for you. Yes. Wow. That shows me and everybody else listening that how crucial it is, the work of self-awareness, self-discovery, self-knowledge. It always goes back to us in a way. Yes. Doesn't it? It sure does. Yeah, how how interesting to just have this confirmation over and over again from amazing people like you, healers like yourself. So another question I had earlier was, do you actually talk openly to your clients about your spiritual views and these are that these are also spiritual practices or you it's not needed to mention. You know what? It really depends. So I'm pretty intuitive into whether somebody is going to be accepting. I actually work with clients who have completely opposite uh, views as me. So either like atheists, they don't believe in any sort of higher power. They're very Christian. So I don't tend to infuse as much of the spirituality into my conversations because I want to respect their viewpoints. I think it's totally okay, whatever anyone views. But with clients who are open to it, I certainly do. So if a client uses terms that kind of cue me into the fact that they might be spiritual, or even if they indicate that on their paperwork, right, that they fill out, then I definitely go about conversations through that lens. So it really takes a lot of discernment to figure out how receptive somebody's going to be to it, because I do think it can be harmful if you if you're trying to push your views onto another person, it's just not going to be necessarily helpful, right? So I've I've learned that along the way. I've always been pretty conscious of that. Um, and so that that's usually how I go about navigating those situations. I have a lot of clients who are quite spiritual, which makes it nice. I think that there's something to that, attracting in clients who have similar viewpoints. Yes, that's true. And it, it sounds to me like the more we do this work of, Self, being self-aware and going deeper into our own inner world, then it becomes almost, almost natural and easier to kind of see how other people's inner world kind of react or respond to ours. Or situ- It's so much easier in a way to know the other when we know ourselves. I guess that's what I'm trying to get. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't it? So we're almost at the end, and I do have another question. I would love to go back to the topic of uh, Mm self-compassion. So just to explore this a bit more, talk to me about some of the practices uh, of self-compassion that you recommend for those going through the process of healing after a heartbreak. Yeah. So the biggest one is how we talk to ourselves. So this this is so powerful. I think words are more powerful than people realize, because if you think of going you're in a forest, right? You have this well-beaten path off to the right. And then there's this like little path to the, to the left and it's barely trekked on, right? That's like usually what people's path is about how they talk to themselves in a positive way. It's not something a lot of people are doing. Um, we tend to be our own worst critics. So we have to really like whack down those weeds and start to like travel that new path of talking more positively to ourselves. And so when we go through something like heartbreak, we especially have to do that because if we lean more into that other path, we're going to, it's going to be like quicksand. We're just going to sink down deeper. We need to stay, you know, on, on our two feet. We need to actually be saying nice things to ourselves that's where it starts. And that's where I have a lot of clients where they're like, this is just, it's like the journey of 10,000 miles and you're taking the first step for some people. It's goes against everything we've been taught to believe about ourselves. And that's where it really starts is creating a home that is beautifully decorated within yourself with the words that you choose to say about yourself to yourself. Mm, wow, that sounds beautiful. I love the way you say that. Yeah, decorating our own home yeah. in a beautiful way. 
That's true. And then from that, self-care would be, let's say, almost like something that would come naturally, right, Ali, from this positive, this cultivation of positive self-talk. That's what has been for me, like acceptance first and then kind of seeing myself in a different light, uh, much lighter in a sense of playful too, not taking myself, the thoughts too seriously. And then that just progressed into taking care of myself better in a sense of body, mind. Yes, absolutely. So actually, you know, eating well, not just, you know, after breakup, a lot of people lose a lot of weight. They don't nourish themselves. So a person who loves themselves or is talking kindly to themselves taps into what they need in the moment. And people think of self-care as like bubble baths and face masks. It's not. It's like the little things we do, (laughs) you know, every day to make ourselves feel better. That is really, truly Uh, self-care. Yes, that's another uh, light, (laughs) in a sense of, in the light of, let's say, I always go back to spirituality. There's like higher knowledge. Yes, right. Everything, it becomes so much easier. Once we we gain clarity, that's really what it is. So we're almost at the end of the conversation for today. I do have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. But before that, would you like to add anything that you left unsaid or any questions, any topics that I I forgot to ask or tap into? Yeah, you know, I don't think so. I think we got through a lot. I'm looking at my list because I wanted to make sure I got through everything. Yeah, I think... I think you asked really good questions that gave us a very fruitful conversation about just really the, all the different areas of heartbreak, you know, from the beginning stages to the grieving process to how to attract the better relationship. So I think we hit everything that I had planned. There's something else you said that I have here. Heartbreak's a universal experience. So that caught my attention because um, in a way, when we come to this understanding that we are not the only ones going through certain difficulties or challenges, then for some reason, it's not that it becomes better, it feels better, but it creates more, I think it's space uh, because then we think about other people. It almost opens that the possibility to think about how other people suffered or are suffering like I am. And then, um, I don't know, for some reason, that kind of uh, brings some comfort. It has been my experience, even with the idea of karma, that some people, which I try not to uh, talk too much about it. (laughs) It seems like it makes sense to me that that could happen, uh, cause and effect, but I try not to talk too much about it. But that's something that, for some reason, creates more space. I don't know if you get the same feeling. Do you? Yeah, I do. So, yeah, when I heartbreak being a universal experience to me is a positive. I think a lot of people, when they come out of a relationship, they think that their situation is so unique. You know, they think that nobody has ever had this exact circumstance (laughs) happen. And it's really not true. There are so many people (laughs) on this planet who've had very similar experiences. And I actually think the internet can be very helpful for people going through heartbreak, right? There's there's this isolation that pre-internet, I'm sure people experience, you know, I'm a millennial, so I have not experienced really what that's like as a child. Of course, I didn't go through this when there was an internet, but being able to see people's experiences online. Um, actually, when I went through my last heartbreak, there was somebody that was posting on TikTok and she had all these videos about her going through the grieving process. And it was a very similar situation. And I actually reached out to her and connected with her over it. So we have this friendship that is formed. So beautiful yeah. because of heartbreak. Yeah. So it really can be a positive experience if we allow others in and we seek out some comfort through other people. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it connects us. Yes, yes right. I saw that as a positive thing too. That, was, that caught my attention immediately. So your services, are they online and offline in the sense of meeting them 
in your office or just online? Yeah. So right now I'm working as a therapist, but I will be transitioning into more of a coaching sort of role. So as a therapist, now I see clients in person and online, but I can only see clients in the state I live in, which is in Minnesota, in the U.S. Um, but as a coach, I'll be able to see people on an international basis, which is very exciting for me. So there's a little bit less red tape there, you know, with seeing clients. So that will all be on online to start. It's going to be more career focused and mindset. So it's actually going to combine my experience with human resources and talent acquisition with my experience as a therapist. So I'm going to be looking at career through a more holistic kind of approach and and very much looking at contextual factors such as like relationships and family dynamics, all the things that actually play a bigger role in our careers than we sometimes give credit. Mm, wow, that sounds wonderful yeah. too. And I know that you're you're building a website yes. as of now, right? Alex? Yes, I am. So I will keep you posted on that. Right now, if anyone wants to reach out and they're curious, just for like, I am offering free consultations. So 15, 30-minute calls just to see if we're a good fit and explain my services if anyone's interested. So my personal email is available. It's Allie Unger, A-L-L-Y-U-N-G-E-R 2121 at gmail.com. Yes. So that's good to have. And I'll have your LinkedIn page as well. Perfect. Link to this podcast page. So my ending questions, I'll ask you this one. Two of them, actually got three questions. Okay. <laughs> um, at this time, what do you feel is the world's greatest need? Ooh, yeah. I think the world's greatest need, that's such a deep question, but I really, I love the deep questions. I think it's more connection. So I think, and again, going back to the internet, I actually think for a while, I thought of the internet as such a negative tool because there are a lot of negative things out there. But if you follow the right accounts, the right people, it can be such a brilliant form of connection with people. So I think more connection is what we need. We need less divisiveness. I mean, look at the political landscape right now, um, especially in the United States where I'm living. It's brutal. Um, so I think we need more connection, less barriers between people and systems that better support connectedness versus putting people into these different boxes. So for me, that's where it starts. It seems like we're sometimes going in the wrong direction, but it depends on what source you're looking at, right? If you're watching the news, you're going to think that. But if you start to connect with like-minded people, like the conversation we're having right now, you see that there are a lot of people that are actually, you know, growing and progressing and, and really moving things along for the planet in a much better way. Mm, yes, that's another beautiful message. Thank you for your wisdom. Yes, for sharing the timeless wisdom with of us. Of course. Yes, yes, a billion times to that uh, union. Another question is, let me see, I have too many here, but I will have to select three. This one, uh, what is freedom to you? Freedom, ooh, I think freedom is living your life in a way that is congruent to, I like the word, the phrase original self. So this is yourself before any conditioning, right? This is before you had all these negative core beliefs. So freedom is when you kind of uncover that original you and what you value, and you're actually living your life in congruence to that versus what you think you should be doing, what other people have made you to believe is what you should be doing and all of that. So true freedom is really aligning with self, in my opinion. Uh, yes, and mine too. <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing, smiling here because, yes, yeah, like he's speaking for me <laughs> and a lot of people on this uh, platform. So thank of you. Course. And my last question is, what three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? Yeah, they're going to sound kind of bleak, but I think that uh -huh. having an experience uh -huh. of heartbreak means that you tried for something that you actually put yourself out there. And even if it, you know, obviously if it ends in that, it's going to be a powerful experience, even if it doesn't feel like it in the moment. So I think everybody should experience that putting themselves out there in a romantic relationship in that way. I think that people should experience pushing past a core fear they have at some point in their life. So for me, um, one of them is I've, I actually struggled quite a bit with social anxiety when I was younger. So getting out there, speaking more publicly, even doing this with you right now. I mean, I, this feels like 
a very fun conversation. This is not a type of conversation that feels like it goes so against what I'd be comfortable doing, but I'm starting to put myself out there more in that way, more publicly. I think people should do that and allow themselves to be seen in that way. And then I also think people should pursue what they want. That should be an experience. And it doesn't have to be your job. So it doesn't have to be your vocation, but it can be like putting energy into a creative project, a way to express yourself, a way to actually do something that brings you purpose. So I think that everybody should have that experience instead of just looking at work as work, finding some way to have a creative outlet, I think is so important and a positive experience for everybody. Yes, yes, yes. I absolutely agree with you. Wow, I love them all. Everything you say is just so wise. Thank you. And I know you're very young. That's beautiful to see. Ah, yeah, I love the way you, you, you said that about, I usually hear about the three experiences. The first one is love that I hear over and over and over again, but you didn't say it that way. So that's refreshing. So having a heartbreak because that means that you have love. Yeah, yeah. It's like a twist mm. on it, right? It's like it means yeah, that you did never. have the love, but you also experience <laughs> yeah. what that loss is like, which is also, I uh, think, such a again growth opportunity. Yes. Oh my God, Ali, that's so beautiful. Thank you so much again for being you, for being open to life, for being open to healing, spirituality, to wisdom. That's truly, truly wonderful to see, especially at your age. Although I don't see age as, um, I don't know, I don't see age. Yeah. I don't see people, I don't see college, I don't see separation. Yeah. But it's just incredibly beautiful to meet um, people like yourself. Thank you Thank so you. much. Thank you. It was Thank so you. nice Thank speaking you. with you. And you're wonderful to speak with. And this has been really fun. Thank you, Ali. So we'll be in touch again soon. For now, take good care of yourself. You too. And we'll talk Thank soon. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Ali Unger and her work, please visit linkedin.com backslash in backslash Ali Unger. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.